I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. Deuteronomy in chapter 6. As we come to these last passages from the book of Deuteronomy, I decided as we as was planning out these sermons that we wouldn't do the entire book of Deuteronomy. It's a, a very big undertaking um, and maybe a bit more than I wanted to, to bite off right now, but I felt like these passages that we began looking at in chapter 4 and we'll close with at the very beginning of chapter 7 were passages that were extremely relevant to us today as we find ourselves uh, living in what I have dubbed for this series a, a strange land. As we live in a place uh, in our contemporary context where we realize that the values of Scripture are no longer the values of our culture. I don't believe that they ever fully were, but we understand that there have been times in the history of our culture here in the United States where our culture reflected more biblical values than it does now. And so I felt like these passages were relevant because Moses, as he's leading these people toward the promised land, he is preparing them to go in and live in a culture that is very different from their own. In fact, they are having to develop their own culture and find out that it's different than the one that they had when they were in slavery in Egypt, and it's different than the one that they're going to have when they go into the promised land. And so I felt that that was relevant for us today, and I believe this morning's passage is no different. So I invite you to stand with me this morning as we begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. You may be seated. If you weren't with us last week, I want to catch you up on where we are here in the book of Deuteronomy. We looked last week right after the Ten Commandments as, as Moses reminds the people of the Ten Commandments that God had given. And after those commandments were given, the people realized that because of their sin and because of their unworthiness before God, that they were not prepared to stand and listen to God give all of His commands. It was going to be too much. It was going to be too powerful for them to witness. They were concerned that if they stood there and they heard Him again, they might die. In fact, we get a note of surprise that they're actually quite shocked that they didn't die the first time that God chose to speak to them. And they don't want to risk it happening again. 
And so they go to Moses and they say, Moses, it's good what God has said to us, but, but our preference would be that from now on, when God speaks, He speaks to you in this special relationship that you have with Him, and, and then you can come and tell us what God has said. And that's going to be sufficient for us because, again, we're afraid that if we hear God speak again, we may very well die. And so God tells Moses, okay, this is good. I I will speak to you. I will give you the instructions that they need to enter into the promised land. I will give them those instructions, or I'll give you those instructions, and then you are to go and pass them off to the people. And so that's where we find ourselves as we go into chapter 6. That now, God has spoken to Moses. He has begun to give Moses instructions. And Moses' responsibility then is to come and to share those things with the people. And so these are the first things that he shares in this unique relationship that he has standing between God and the people. And that's why I think they are so relevant for us, because here we we have the Ten Commandments, we're we're well acquainted with those, but here are the first things that Moses brings down off of the mountain to share with the people. And in what he shares here in these first six verses, I think what we are able to see as we study this text this morning are three steps that we must take three steps that must be a part of our life if we are to have a close relationship with the Lord. Now, oftentimes when you hear people talk about their relationship with God, they, they want to have a closer relationship, right? There's an old hymn that goes, what? Just a closer walk with thee, right? Well, I didn't say closer this morning because we, we don't want to get closer we, we don't want to get a, a little bit closer to God. We want to be in a close relationship with Him, right? Like when, when, when I want to shed a few pounds, if I lose one, I'm closer to my goal, right? But that's not the same as 50 or 100. Then I'm close to the goal. Simply being closer doesn't count. The old expression goes that it only works in, what, horseshoes and hand grenades, correct? The person who finishes fourth in the Olympics this week gets nothing. Oh, he was closer than the guy that finished fifth. But he doesn't get his medal. They're not doing participation medals yet at the Olympics that I'm aware of. And let's hope they don't. You want to, bronze is okay. I mean, hey, if I had one, I would have it displayed in my office. But the object is the goal. The object is to win if you're a sports fan and you know football is starting so some of you are excited that my football illustrations will return and some of you aren't but a certain team that I have a soft place in my heart for got closer closer than they ever had before well since 2003 but they weren't there right they didn't win They didn't win the Super Bowl. They played in it. But at the end of the night, I was sick and depressed and ready to swear off football forever. But I didn't. Don't don't get worried. (laughs) 
let's not seek as Christians to have a closer walk with God. Let's seek to have a close walk with Him. Let's walk closely with Him. And this morning, let's see three steps on how we do just that. The first one, we, we see this played out in, in verses 1 through 3. If we want to have a close relationship, a close walk with the Lord, then we must seek out to learn the things of God. We must learn the things of God. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules. Remember, we've heard that so many times. In just these uh, two chapters that we've covered so far, we've heard this phrase over and over and over again. But, but look what he says. He says, now, because remember, the relationship has changed. It's not just God speaking. God speaking to Moses, and now Moses is speaking to the people. Now this is, verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to do what? To teach you. Do you realize that when it comes to our relationship with God, we have to learn things and things must be taught to us. We don't automatically know them. I was joking with a, a pastor friend of mine the other day. We were talking about bad sermons and we were talking about some, some really terrible sermons we had heard and terrible ways that people had put together sermons and he was he was talking about someone who he had heard preach and the entire sermon was based on uh, song lyrics and not even christian song lyrics so it wasn't like you know on a special sunday night this guy decided to preach about the song lyrics of amazing grace okay you know maybe uh we could maybe you could do that it wouldn't be my preference, but, but you could do I mean, Amazing Grace is a fantastic hymn, one of the great hymns of the faith. It's got a great backstory to it about slavery and about deliverance from being a slave owner by John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. It's a fantastic hymn. But, but that wasn't even, weren't even Christian hymns that were becoming the, the story for these sermons. And so my, my buddy here is just really just tearing down on on this. I mean, just tearing down on why anyone would ever do that. And I'm sitting there going, man, I wish you would stop because this hurts a little bit. Because see, I remember my first year of preaching when I preached a sermon based on song lyrics. It was a Christian song, but it was a disaster of a sermon. It was terrible. I mean, it was awful. I probably should have been fired on the spot for that sermon immediately. Luckily, the people there most of them had no idea what I was talking about, which that worked out really well. It helped a little bit. But it was a disaster. Well, what was the problem? Well, for one thing, no one had ever sat down with me and given me any insight on how you prepare a sermon. No one had ever spoken to me about how to structure a message, about having a, a good introduction that, that brings the message to bear on the people, that, that has points that the people can follow that, that has a conclusion that wraps things up and reminds people of what you said. No, no one had ever done that. I, I love it when I hear of these churches where this you know, 13, 14-year-old guy says, hey, I, I feel like I'm called to preach, and the next Sunday they throw him up in the pulpit. And I think people sit there and expect they're going to get something. 
It's like, no, it's going to be terrible. He's going to be horrible. I can promise you it would not be good. Now, he might say some things that, that make people feel good, or he might challenge some people on some things, but, but as a sermon, it will be terrible. It just has to be. Because you have to learn those things. I was having a discussion recently about the number of Southern Baptists that leave the Baptist church and go be Mormons. It's like, how is that possible? How, how would it be possible to, to grow up and, and learn and grow in a Southern Baptist church and then leave and become a Mormon? Well, it's because that whole growing up and learning and growing thing often doesn't happen. We as Christians can't ever assume that we know everything about God. See, it would have been easy for the people of God here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to have said, well, we have the Ten Commandments, and that's going to be sufficient. We have the Ten Commandments, and that'll be adequate for us to live as we should as followers of God. And Moses, the first thing he says is, listen, I've got to teach you these things. These are the commandments. These are the statutes that I must teach you. You And if you want to have a close relationship with God, it will be necessary for you to learn those things. I want to promise you this morning that you will not have a close walk with God if you are not spending time learning the things of God. It simply doesn't work that way. It is possible that God... In fact, it's not only possible. God could have decided that at the moment where He converted you from your sin, when He called you to Himself and saved you, He could have in that moment given you in your mind and in your heart perfect knowledge of Him about everything. God could have done that. I mean, this is the God that spoke and everything that is was made. So doing that would not have been difficult. He could have completely and utterly in that moment transformed everything about you and you would have walked perfectly with Him. You would have followed Him completely. You would have done everything He has ever said to do. He could have done that. But He didn't. But a lot of Christians act like He did. It's like all of a sudden, when we come to Christ, we are theologians and know everything. We know every verse of the Bible. We know everything it says. We know everything about it. I want to promise you that's not the case. Because I know people who know the Bible probably more completely than all of us in this room who are gathered. They know it front and back. They know everything about it. They know all the, the theology. They know all of the insight. They know all of the history. All of that. And guess what? You know what they spend their days doing? Trying to learn more about God. It's kind of like it's kind of like money. You know, you've never met anybody that that really had a lot of money that didn't want some more. Just just a little bit. You know, I've got a million, but it, man, two and I would be more secure. I've got a billion, but with two, you know, I could do all kind. Of, I mean, it's just it's a never-ending thing. When you begin to learn about God and who He is, and what He has done for you, and what He has done in creation, it is contagious. You will want to know more. And when you learn that, you will want to know more. And when you learn more, you will want to know more. Again, you can't get enough of it. 
Because the thing about an infinite God is there is an infinite amount of information you can learn about Him. There's an infinite amount of experience or infinite number of experiences you can have with Him. There is no stopping point to it. There is no point where you come and you reach the, the pinnacle where you can say, I know everything about God. We must be taught about Him. We must be taught as we read His Word. We must be taught as we sit under preaching, as we sit under Bible studies and discipleship groups, as we sit in Sunday school, as we are having conversations with other believers where they share what God is doing in their life and what God has been teaching them as they are reading His Word, as they are listening to preaching, as they are going to Bible studies. There's an infinite number of ways that we can learn about God, but if we want to be close to Him, we will do that. It's always disappointing to hear someone say that they have a close relationship with God, but in conversation find out they don't know anything about Him. Because at that point, how, how do you know it's even the right one? How do you know that you've drawn close to the God of the universe if you don't know anything about Him? Or you begin to talk to someone who says they have a close relationship with God, but they... And they begin to tell you about the God they serve, and it's not the God that you find when you read through the pages of Scripture. I'm always amazed by that as I'm looking at people who talk about God. We often see them on television and in these movies, and they talk about who God is and what God has done, and on and on, and you realize this is not the God of the Bible. They, they talk about the priorities of God. We read in the Bible where His priority is that all people would be saved. His priority is that His kingdom would advance throughout the earth and you hear someone talk about Him and they have such a low view of His priority. Moses says He's going to teach. He's going to teach them. Why? Well, look at the end of verse 1. So that they may do them in the land that they're going to possess. So it's important to act on these things that you're taught. He says in verse 2, it's important that I teach them to you so that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. So he wants, he, he wants the, a practical application of these laws and statutes that he's going to teach. So in other words, when we learn something about God, it's going to change what we do. It necessarily changes what we do. We can't continue on in the same things that we are doing, especially things that are unpleasing to God when we learn about who He is. So the person who is constantly cheating on his wife and he finds out that God holds marriage in high esteem, it necessitates that he changes what he is doing. Maybe before that, he didn't know. Before that, he, he wasn't aware that God cared about such things. But once we find that out, it changes what we do. A person may think that God doesn't care about where they spend their time or how they spend their money, but as they learn about Him and study about Him and they find out God does care about those things, He does have a purpose and plan for my life, He does have a say in what I do with my finances, it necessitates that we change what we're doing. That's why he says that you may do them when you go over. That you may fear the Lord. That, that you may have this reverence of who God is. 
and understand that He is holy and you are not. How do you know that? We have to learn it. Our world, our culture teaches us that there is no God, that we are the pinnacle of evolution, that we are the top of the food chain. And then we learn about God and find out, no, He is God Almighty. He is above all. And that necessitates that we humble ourselves before Him. Because He is great and we are not. We fear the Lord how? By keeping, he says there in verse 2, all His statutes and commandments which I have commanded. Moses talking, I have commanded you all the days of your life that your days may be long. It's necessary to learn these things about God so that we know then how we shall live in the culture and time in which we find ourselves. It is necessary that we keep His commands so that we can show ourselves approved before Him. If you want to say that you fear the Lord, if you want to say that you have a close relationship with God, you do that by learning what He has said and then by putting those things into practice. It goes back to where Jesus teaches about the world knowing us by our fruit. Once we have come into a relationship through the power of the blood of Christ, we have a responsibility to live as He has called us to live. And we can only do that by learning the things that He has taught us. He says for the people of God in verse 3, the result of that is that things may go well with them, that they may multiply greatly, They go into this land of milk and honey. He says the results of following after the statutes and commands of God, the results of listening to the teaching about God is that you might have long days and receive the promise. You might have long days in the land that they are going and you might receive the promise. See, God had made a promise to them long ago that He was going to multiply them greatly and He was going to give them a land that was flowing with milk and honey. He was going to give them a promised land. That was the promise of the covenant He made to them. And see, for us, God has made a covenant with us. And it's not a covenant that is based on any type of land. And the great news for us is it is a covenant that is based on grace. Remember, if they failed to obey God, they would be, and they were, kicked out of the promised land. They were removed. Other nations came in and conquered them and destroyed them and carried them away into captivity. Because they had this covenant that was based on what they did. And and the good fortune for us The the, the good news for us is that God has entered into a covenant with us that is based on grace and not on works. It's based on His great grace toward us. But we would be remiss if we decided that by taking this gift of grace, we could then do with it whatever we want. 
if God held them to this high standard where He called upon them to obey His commands and His statutes, to follow Him in all that He had commanded them to do, do we believe that our command is any less stringent? Do we believe that God's command on us is any less than it was on them? We shouldn't. Because what a poor way to live. What a, what a quick way to get far away from God. Then to see what He has said, see what He has commanded us, and then willfully choose to disobey those things. If we want to have a close relationship with God, if we want to, to see His promises fulfilled in our life, it comes from learning what He has said. Friends, don't don't ever be satisfied with any area about God in which you're ignorant of His things. Any area about God where you don't know, even if it is an area about Him where you will never fully understand, do not be satisfied with that. Friends, I, I don't understand how salvation works. I don't understand the order. I don't understand the balance between God's sovereignty and my responsibility. I don't understand that, but I want to know more about it. I don't understand how the Holy Spirit dwells in my heart, how that, how that works and how He guides my heart, but I want to know as much as I can. I want to know about the things of God because that way, in, in knowing Him, I'm able to be more obedient to what He has called me to do. I'm able to listen to Him more clearly. I'm better able to understand His Word when I strive to know the things of God. And friends, we must be about that if we want to have a close relationship with Him. I would challenge you to go through your Bible and find anyone who you could say was in a close relationship with their Heavenly Father, who did not spend their time striving to know Him more. Friends, Jesus is God. And yet He would retreat to quiet places to speak with His Heavenly Father. He, as the Son of God, would go and speak to His heavenly Father with whom He had had a perfect relationship with for eternity. And yet He sought out spending time and knowing His Father better. How much more so do we need to invest in learning the things of God? That's the first step. Learn the things of God if you want to have a close relationship with him. Second, he goes into verse 4 and he instructs us that we must embrace. If we want to have a close relationship with God, we must embrace the oneness of God. We must embrace the oneness of God. Verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You've got to remember, they were about to go into this place where everybody worshipped a lot of gods. I mean, everybody had 
uh, a God for their family. Everybody had a God in the community. Everybody had a God that would help you uh, when you wanted to have a baby. Everyone had a God that would help you when you wanted to have a good harvest. Everyone, everyone had a God that would help you when you wanted to have uh, some rain or you were going to go on a trip across the ocean or whatever it was. Some of them had gods that you took and you sacrificed your children to. There are myriads of gods. And often what would happen in this culture is that when you heard about a new god, you didn't want to risk that he could be, you know, real. And you weren't serving him. And so you would just take him and you could just adapt this new God that you heard about, into all the other gods that you worshipped. I mean, really, what's one more? It's not a big deal. Oh, this God can do this. Well, you know, that could be helpful at some point. So I, I think I'm going to adopt this God into my family of gods that I worship. Nobody thought anything about that. You know, we are, are so ingrained with a monotheistic view a one God view in, in our experience and, and even culturally within our country that we think that's a, a pretty foreign concept. In fact, the, the idea of more than one God is offensive to Jews and Muslims and Christians. Highly offensive. But it was common for them. It wasn't a big deal. Everyone just did that. No one thought much about it. And so as they're about to walk into this promised land, this new country, they're going to go into this place and they're going to immediately encounter multiple gods. In fact, they were already accustomed to that. Because if you go back to Egypt, you find out that they also had many gods. And they worshipped all of them. And they saw all of them as important. And they saw all of them as powerful. And you didn't want to offend any of them. And if something happened to you, they could probably trace it back to you offending one of the particular gods. That's what they would chalk it up to. And so they come out of this polytheistic, multiple god society. They've come to the wilderness where they are receiving instruction and they're about to go across the river into, again, another polytheistic, multiple God culture. And so after the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, hits on this very clearly as well, Moses says, now by the way, just so you remember, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. In case you've forgotten since I gave you those Ten Commandments, in case you are questioning this, in case you ever get tempted to follow after some other God, do not forget that the Lord, our God, the Lord, is one. Now you say, well, preacher, I'm pretty good on that one. I mean, if these are three steps, feel feel pretty good about this step in the process because I, I don't worship anyone else. You know, I, I don't go out and, and I don't worship Allah. 
the God of the Muslims, and I don't go and worship Ra, the God of the Egyptians, which they don't worship anymore, but you know, I don't go and worship the balls that are mentioned, or Molech, who's mentioned in the Bible. I, I don't worship those guys. You know, I, don't, I don't worship any of the, the gods of India, the 12 million plus that they have. I, I, I don't fall down before the Buddha and meditate or whatever. I'm, I'm good. And I would say I'm glad that that is the case. I'm glad that none of you fall down and worship before those gods. But, but we need to understand that, that here when he says the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that means that it, when it comes to our worship, that we worship Him and Him alone. Because there are no other gods. There are no other gods that exist in the world. There are no other gods that are available to worship, that are worthy of worship. And so while if I was preaching this in a place like India, or if I was preaching this in a place uh, in Asia that worshiped many gods, if I was speaking with a Muslim about this, it might be different, but for you... When we see this passage, when we see the necessity of embracing the oneness of God, it, it should remind us that God alone is worthy of our worship. God alone is worthy of our worship. And embracing His oneness is to commit in our heart and in our actions that He alone is God. And that nothing else will ever take His place in our life. Nothing else will ever rise to the level of God in our life. Nothing else will ever receive the worship of God in our life. That's where I think we can begin to trace the application for us. Because as people made in the image of God, we are people who, who understand deep down that there is something greater. And we are people who deep down will bow before something. And so I want to promise you that everyone you know, everyone you meet at your work, at your school, out in public, wherever you're going, is a person who has been made in the image of God and therefore they have a desire in their heart to worship. And God tells them here that when that desire is coming out to worship, remember that it is I and I alone who are worthy of your worship. But we understand that for so many people, they worship something else. For so many people, their worship is not directed toward God Almighty, but is directed toward a lesser God. Whatever it is, I, I, think, it's, I think it's easy if you would examine your heart, you would find those things. What, what is it that I worship? What is it that I put in front of God? Think about those things. Think about them, whatever they are, 
And understand that they are not worthy of your worship. Whatever it is that draws your heart away from Him. Whatever it is that takes the place of a time that you could have been learning about Him. I love to write. Many of you know that. And I haven't written very much lately. And from time to time, I'll stop and, and, and try to figure out what, what is it? What is it that is distracting me from writing something? What is it that's preventing me from doing another book or writing an essay on, on something that I, I have interest in academically? What is it? Now, you may look at that and say, well, you know, I mean, you know, you're, you've got stuff going on. I mean, that, that happens. But, but I realized that as I track my time, there are so many things that I do that are simply unproductive. There, there, there's things that I, I'm doing. There's things on, on, you know, just sitting here seeing what you guys are doing on Facebook. Somebody checked in since, you know, since they've been here this morning. Some other people have posted stuff on the online yard sale. Luckily, not any of you. Because that would be very disheartening, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, you look at this, and you realize that it's, it's time. And a lot of people worship their time. A lot of people have no time for God. Because they're busy. But busyness, friends, is, is not holiness. Busyness does not equate holiness. Busyness does not equate productivity. We can get busy and begin to worship our time. And friends, as someone who has done several funerals lately, time is nothing to be worshipped. Because it's fleeting. And it'll be gone quickly. It doesn't last forever. Some people worship, they worship what they can make in a week or in a month. I have some folks like that in my family, maybe you do as well, that, that that's what it's all about. It's all about the money. It's all about prominence. It's all about people knowing you. It's all about the, the how, your house being so nice. I was thinking this week about the, the house my, my dad grew up in. If you were to drive by it, you would assume it wasn't a house. It, it looks like a shed. In fact, I've had nicer sheds than that house. It sits there now. Of course, it's in disrepair, but it's still sitting there. In fact, I assume that at some point it'll be mine through inheritance. And, you know, I'm a sentimental guy. It may sit there for four or five generations just sitting there. But there it is. And it's, it's nothing. I mean, it's, there's people that have nicer dog houses than this, this house. I mean, it's literally it's just a pile of lumber. That's where my dad grew up in. 
I think about my grandmother's house. It's just this single wide trailer. The, the floors now, after it's been sitting for a few years, the floors need to be replaced. They're getting soft. It's nothing special. But it doesn't really matter. Because in the end, had it been that, or had it been the, the nicest mansion that you can imagine, time will still run out. You can't take your money with you. What are we worshiping? What is most important to you? Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is nothing else. There is no one else. Whether it's a God that has a name or whether it is simply something that you have decided to worship in your heart, it is not worthy. And in fact, that leads to the third step. You must embrace the oneness of God, but then thirdly, you must love the Lord in total. He, put these, he puts these two things together, and that's no mistake. In fact, when Christ is asked in the New Testament, what is the greatest commandment? The, the goal was to catch him in a trap, and this is where he goes to. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you want to live well in this land that you're going, if you want to have a close relationship with Him, you must be taught all of these things. And the result of all of these things is that the Lord is one and that you must love Him with everything that you are. The Lord is one, there is none other, and you must love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, with all of your strength. You must love Him with every part of your being. We can't be, and I include, I say we, I don't say you here, I say we, including myself. We can't be people of God only on Sunday morning. We can't be the people of God only when we're gathered around other Christians. We can't be the people of God only when it is convenient. God, nowhere in His Word, offers that type of relationship. Now trust me, if you want to go down the road and worship another God, there's plenty of gods that will offer you that. In fact, hey, there's plenty of churches that will tell you that's okay. But when God here in the Bible describes an appropriate relationship with Him. It is always a relationship with Him in total. It's always a relationship with Him that is consuming of all of your life. You pick a, a point in time during your week, you pick it at random. You pick a portion of your life, you pick whatever role and responsibility you have, whether it's father or mother or parent or worker or teacher or, or student, whatever it is, you pick one of those at random and God wants complete control over that portion of your life. In fact, not only wants it, He demands it if you want to be His follower. 
So it's not adequate to say, well, kind of like a budget, uh, you know, I've got, we're going to do 3% entertainment and 40% to our mortgage, whatever. You know, we do that to our life, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to give God, what would you say? What would you say is a fair number? 3%? 2%? Do you realize how much of your week you're at church? On a, for Sunday morning. So let's say that you come to worship and then you also stay for life application groups so, and you came a little early. So we'll, we'll call it three hours. That's like, what, 2% of your week? Something like that? It's 24 hours, seven days. My math is early. I know we have early service, so my math's not going. For the afternoon service, I really get the math equations going well. It's like 2% of your week. Whew. That's, that's not a lot. Think about if, if you're married and you like your spouse pretty good, 2% uh, of the week going to cut it with them? That's not going to be good, is it? If you, if you spend 2% of your week with your kids, how's that going to work? Let's say your job. Okay, like at your job, 2% of your week, is that going to be adequate for your boss? If you're the boss, how long till you run the business in the ground if you give it 2% of your week? You know, we can throw in some devotions in there and we can throw in some other things. Maybe we can get up to 5 or 10% and feel better about yourself. But, but God says, no, I, I, want, I want all your week. I'm going to be your God, the one God, the only one that you worship all of your week. That doesn't mean you're going to be sitting up in here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That also means that when you go out there and you're conducting business, you don't get to conduct business however you want. You have to conduct it as a child of God. And when you're at your work, you have to give effort, not as an employee who doesn't like how much they're getting paid, but you have to give effort as a child of God. If you're a student... You don't get to be a non-Christian student. You, you do your homework to the glory of God. You, you obey what the teacher says as if God himself is telling you to do that. Friends, that's, that's how we've got to live. When he says that we are to love God with everything that we are, when God says you must love me with all that you have because there is no one else to give your affection to, right? There are no other gods. There are no other deities. There is no one else worthy of your worship. So who else would you give your affection to? He says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. See, I think most people say I would love to have a closer relationship with God. I would love to have a closer relationship with him. And some people try to, to fill that time. So I want to have a closer relationship with God. So I'm going I'm to read, I'm gonna read the, the, the devotions that the church posts online every morning. And I really like Saturdays. Because all it says is, read the Bible verse and pray for the service. So man, I can get through that one quick. I mean, what a gift on Saturday that you can just blow right through the devotion. 
That's what people want, right? I want a closer walk with God, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the devotions. I want a closer walk with God, so I'm, I'm going to come to a small group. I want a closer, but friends, we don't want a closer walk with God. I don't want a closer walk with God. I want a close walk with Him. I want to walk beside Him. I want to follow Him wherever He leads. A closer walk with God may mean that He is... He is a thousand steps ahead of me and I close it by one step. A closer walk with Him may be that I've ran so far that I can't see Him anymore and I, I change directions to look a little bit, but I never actually get there. Friends, I want a close walk with Him and that takes learning His things. That takes embracing His oneness and it takes loving Him in total. See, when we leave here in a few minutes, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted as soon as you leave this property, if not before, you're going to be tempted to going back and budgeting out the time you give to God and the time you put other places. The time where you say, you know, I need to do better here. I need to be faithful here. But these other times, I can do whatever I want. I can go live however I want. I can go do the things that I want to do. But, but eventually I'll come back and I'll follow after Him. Eventually I'll come back and I'll, I'll listen to what God has to say. I'll, I'll give Him a little bit of time. Maybe I'll, I'll do it next Sunday. Maybe before I go to bed tonight I'll pray. But between now and then, it's, it's my time. I've given God His. Some of you may even feel good because... Our service runs a little longer than some people, so you gave God a little more time than the Baptist down the street. Definitely more time than the Methodist. So you find solace in that. Friends, God calls upon us to learn His things, embrace His oneness, and love Him in total. If those things are missing, you will never have a close relationship with God. It, it won't happen. Those times when you say, yeah, I just don't feel close to God anymore. People tell me that all the time. I just don't feel close to God anymore. I would challenge you, look at this list, and I bet one or more things on here are missing, and that is why. Friends, God has called upon us to be close to Him. And He has given us a pattern for doing so. And most importantly in all of that, He has given us a relationship with His Son Christ to make it possible. He has given us a relationship with Christ to make it possible that we can learn His things through the power of the Spirit. It's possible to embrace His oneness through the power of the Spirit. Friends, it's, it's possible. It's possible that we can love Him with all that we are. Not because we're great, not because we've figured out some formula, but because He has sent Christ, and through the death of Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in our heart, and we can therefore have a close relationship with Him. Let's never be satisfied. Let's never be satisfied saying, you know, I, I would like a, a closer walk with God. Because we then may be tempted to do one little thing that we feel like has, has drawn us in closer to Him. Friends, we have the opportunity to have a close relationship 
with the God of the universe. The clo- a close relationship with the God who created us. But it's not going to happen if we're not learning about Him. If we're not putting Him as the center of our worship and giving Him the totality of our life. But we can do that. We can cry out to Him, even this morning, and say, God, God, I want to give you that first place in my life. God, I want to give you the total of my heart and my soul and my mind. I want to give you all of that. God, I want to learn more about you. God, give me that desire so that I can walk closely with you. God wants to do that. That's what He wants for us. And He's calling on us to do that this morning. We bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. God, we're grateful that you love us so much that you sent your Son to die in our place that we may no longer be far from You because of sin, but God, that we may draw near to You through grace. God, we thank You. We thank You for the great grace that You have given us in Christ. We thank You for the great outpouring of Your mercy that we saw on the cross. God, my hope is now that we realize Your goodness toward us through Christ, that we would draw near to You, that we would desire to learn Your things that we would put You in first place, that You would be one. We see no other. May God, the totality of our heart and soul and might would be Yours. That the efforts of our life would be in knowing You more. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the kindness that You have shown us. God, we pray that You would speak to our hearts this morning. God, let us know of your love. Let us know of your mercy. God, our hope is in you. And God, we are thankful that we have hope. God, we're thankful for your grace. And we pray this morning in the name of the one from whom our grace comes, the name of Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to sing. I want to invite you this morning to respond to God's Word. It is not sufficient for us to know God a little bit. It's not sufficient for us to want to be closer to Him. He calls on us to be close to Him. And He makes it possible for us to do so through Christ. I want to ask you this morning, if God's speaking to your heart, that you would respond. Respond because you want to have that close relationship or respond because you've never had a relationship with Christ. But today you'd like to place your faith and trust in Him. I would love to share with you how to know Him, how you can follow Him, and how the God of the universe can be your Savior and Lord. Will you respond to God's Word this morning as we sing? Breathe on me.
my soul, speak the mind that in Christ we coming to worship this morning and just pray that God would speak to our heart, that he would direct us and guide us. Friends, uh, the world bombards us daily with all these things that, that we're supposed to need and supposed to want and supposed to do. And we come to a passage like this and realize that, that God is enough, that there needs to be none other 
No one else, no other thing needs to have our affections and our worship. He and He alone is worthy. And it's such a great reminder because everything else fails us, even, even time. But Christ does not. And His love endures forever. I want to pray for us before we go this morning. Pray that God would bless you and keep you this week, that He would lead and guide your heart. He would direct you where He would have you to go and use you for His kingdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for the great grace that has been given to us through Christ. God, we thank You for the hope that we have in Him. God, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never fail us. That God, throughout this entire life, we can trust in Him for every provision. We can trust in Him to meet every need. God, we have the great assurance. God, that one day when you call us home, it'll be through Christ that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It'll be through His blood that covers our heart that You'll welcome us into an eternity with You. God, we're thankful that You give us the opportunity to walk closely with You today. God, I pray that we would take advantage of that opportunity. God, we would not squander the time that we have been given. But God, we would dedicate our heart and our life to You. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. And God, we pray these things today in Christ's name. Amen.